Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Good. How was your weekend? Good. Good. Mine too. Thanks. Um, it was good. It was busy. I, um, I, we had a bunch of, we've got a bunch of ministry stuff going on this weekend. And so I missed my son's soccer game yesterday because I had a, a ministry commitment and it was the first game I had missed. Um, both my boys are playing sports right now. My six-year-old Miles is playing soccer on Saturdays and then Charlie is playing flag football over here at TCU on Sunday afternoons. And, um, and one of the things that we um, are really trying to instill in, in our boys is really character stuff, right? Like what it means, ultimately just what does it mean to be a, a human and a man. But really what we talk about is, man, what it looks like to be a Fuquay boy. And what, that's my last name, you know, what Fuquay boys do and how we should act and all those kind of things. And so Miles yesterday, uh, if you see him, he's going to probably come to the 11 o'clock service if, on your way out. If you see my six-year-old, you can tell him congratulations. He scored three goals yesterday. Um, it's a big deal. Yep, it's a big deal. We got the other team scored zero. Um, uh, there was a game a couple weeks ago. He scored five goals. Um, he will play soccer one day. It's done. It's a done deal. Um, he, he will get full scholarships and all that kind of stuff. So we're set. This is his first season playing soccer, but I've already established his life plan for us. Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing that we talk about a lot in our home, and the same is true for Charlie you know, I missed the game. And so yesterday afternoon, we were talking about it and he was telling me about the goals. And every time we talk about the game, we say, awesome, man, how many goals did you score? Oh, that's so great. Or with Charlie, how many catches did you make? Or how many balls did you swat down on defense? Um, or touchdowns did you make? But then we also say, how many people did you help up? Um, because one of the things, especially with six-year-old soccer, six-year-old soccer is just a tornado of chaos and shins and knees and cleats. I mean, everybody just goes to the ball, and then there's just this kind of dust cloud of six-year-olds all trying to kick the ball. And inevitably, I mean, there are just kids that constantly fall down and get trampled. And so we've talked about it. Hey, Fuquay boys, what we do, if you're a Fuquay, like, you're going to stop if you're playing and, and your priority is no longer kicking the ball, your priority is going to be just helping that person up. And so we have this kind of measurable, awesome, you scored three goals. How many people did you help up? Because one of the characters, characteristics that we, we want for our boys, my wife and I, is kindness. We want our boys to be kind. Same thing with Charlie. Even flag football, every play, it doesn't matter this flag, every play somebody's going to end up on the ground. Um, and so, you know, Charlie, how many people did you help up during your game? to be this action step defining a character trait in him and celebrating those things. We are, we've got two more weeks in the book of James. So today and then next week, I'll close out chapter five. Today we're going to start chapter five of James and next week uh, I'll close it out. The book of James has been this unbelievably applicable action step after action step after action step that shows the character of what the kids of God should look like. Right, it's been, I mean, it's been, hey, watch how you talk, watch, you know, here's what wisdom looks like, here's these things you need to run from, here's what, all of these things. And what we're going to hit today is going to be a lot of the same of that. It's going to be really these three huge action steps uh, that aren't just lists of things to do, they're tied to character of what it means to be a son or a daughter of our God. 
right? To carry his name, what does that mean? It means these are some of the ways we should, these are some of the things we should step into. These are some of the things we should step out of, um, going back to that identity. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. It's towards the back. We'll put the verses up um, on the screen as well. Um, but we're going to see these three calls to action, but also I'm going to show us um, in Scripture where they derive from. And here's what I mean. So we'll just unpack these these three sections here in the verses that we're covering, which is verse 1 through 12. And, and in doing so, um, one of the most frustrating things for me is when, you know, I hear a, a talk or a sermon, and I, I'm guilty of this myself, and we get this really clear what we're supposed to do. But I'm, I'm blurry on the how I'm supposed to do it. And for me, that's tough, right? You know, we hear a sermon on, you know, don't, you know, don't lust. Okay, great. But like how? Like I get that that's an action step. Or, you know, we hear a sermon or we hear truth of saying, you know, love your enemies. Cool, cool, cool. How do I do that? That's hard. And so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack, man, what is God's word saying here? What are these action steps that mark characters of Christ in line with the, the other four chapters that we've been in this semester? And then how do we do it? Where does it come from? Where's the motivation? Where's the heart to step into those things from. So let me preview. We're going to cover verses 1 through 6 uh, is going to be kind of one action point, and then 7 through 11, and then in your Bibles you'll see just verse 12 is just kind of the standalone, um, really, honestly, convicting um, verse that uh, will, will be kind of our third action step. So section 1, chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. This is what James says. He says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl, for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eated. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and, self, and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Feel good passage for the morning, right? I would love somebody to get a Christian t-shirt or Christian coffee mug that just has this... Um, you know, there's evidence against you that will eat your flesh like fire. That will be a great t-shirt uh, in a Christian bookstore one day. Okay, so here's, here's what we see. James is coming in obviously really hot here at the beginning of chapter 5. Um, there is a tone that James is writing, and he has shifted his audience, right? Last week, if you remember, the end of chapter 4, Zach preached it up here. And Zach talked about, if you remember where that, that, that chapter ended, kind of this hollow path and this kind of full path, right? And he talked about this hollow path, um, and if you remember, it was kind of this preventative warning for, you know, trying to, trying to steer your own life, not really caring about God's will, trying to build a prophet, and you just want to go your way, and you want to build your kingdom. And so chapter four ended with kind of this caution, right? It was a cautionary, don't go that way. That way is hollow. You're going to go that way, and you're going to wind up, you know, grown up and old with all of these things that then just dissolve and it's going to be hollow for you. And so we saw this at the end of chapter four. Now, right, James is, is now kind of the other side of the coin, right? He wants to point out if that was the warning at the end of chapter four, don't go down that path, don't go down the path. Now he has shifted his audience to those who have already, that ship has sailed, 
right? He's saying, guys, don't do that. Don't live this life. Don't build your own kingdoms all about you and itself. It's all going to dissolve. And then he shifts clearly his audience to those who have done just that. And they've lived a life of deceit and they've built their own stuff and they're wealthy and they've got riches and they've abused people. And he's saying, you guys are out of bounds. And so it's kind of two sides of the coin, um, right? Um, the caution here is that, hey, it's already gone. And so there's this conviction here. He says in verse one, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. His condemnation mirrors the challenge that he puts before what I would say younger believers at the end of chapter four. Chapter four, right? Your, prof- your profits, meaning your money, is what he, you're chasing after. If you remember chapter four, it's a mist that vanishes, he says. Right, it's, it's hollow, as Zach put it. And here in chapter five, you see right there in verse two, It's riches that are rotted, clothes that are moth-eaten. They vanish, they go away. He's mirroring these two things in God's word. He's warning people who it's not too late for, and he's saying, you guys, God's judgment is imminent on you. It's imminent. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And so I think it's really important. This is not just a condemnation against rich people. Don't make that mistake. It's a condemnation against dishonest, greedy people who are taking advantage, who are swindling, um, who are abusing other people to to gain their profit. And it's this sobering condemnation uh, that God's judgment is coming. But then look what it says in verse 5. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, You've had this fatted heart, fattened heart in a day of slaughter. And if, if you've ever been to slaughters, which I, I haven't actually made, made one of those yet, um, you don't want to be the fatted cow at the slaughter, right? The day of slaughter, if you're the fattened cow, that's not good for you, right? You're the first one up. And that's what he's saying. Great, you've built all this hollow wealth. You've got the fattened heart, and now it's the day of slaughter. So this is sobering stuff, This is heavy, heavy, even a heavy tone from the apostle that he is condemning. He's already given the warning, and now he's saying, for you guys, it's probably too late. Um, Not good. Uh, So then we see this, right? We we can easily get this twisted. And I want to make sure that we don't, because the problem is not the presence of wealth, but it's the absence of generosity and righteousness, right? That's the problem here. The problem is not that people have wealth and riches, Right? It's that there was an absence of generosity, an absence of righteousness connected to that. Right? Wealth, wealthy people can be incredibly generous. Right? There's nothing against that. Um, in fact, this ministry, just as an example, this ministry exists, the building you guys are sitting in, because people who had means and resources said, man, we really care about college students. And I don't know if you guys knew this. We love you guys. Y'all are a financial black hole right, to our church, right, like we, there were a bunch of people at at our church, Christ Chapel, who love you guys, and they don't care, right, we don't pass plates, there's not a, we just, we just built, Christ Chapel built this building to say, hey, let's spend four million dollars to people that we are never going to get a financial return on investment, let's hire a staff, let's get coffee, let's do all of these things, let's take people on trips, because we care about them, because we're generous, because that's the posture of the heart of these people who, by God's grace, have resources. And so they said, yes, yes, yes. It's not about what we can get back. It's about how we can serve. And so even just the, this ministry literally physically being here is because of this 
generosity that we're called to have and throughout our life, right? And so I don't want to equate this, this challenge uh, in James as, oh man, being rich is bad, you need to give away all your money. This isn't a Robin Hood passage, right? This is a passage about is there generosity in how you approach others? It's not the presence of wealth that's the problem, it's the absence of generosity, which is something we can all then take as this action step, right? We're, we're all called to walk that out. Right here, this first few verses, our first action step of, okay, if I'm going to be a son or a daughter of, of the king, one of the ways that I do that is I walk in generosity. No matter if you have money or not, you're called to walk in generosity as a young adult. Um, I think so often we think of, well, generosity is something that you've got you've to earn a whole bunch of money and then you can be generous. But generosity is not about the quantity of money you give. It's about a posture and a perspective of how you see other people and how you have a heart to help them, right? It's, it's a posture and a perspective. You don't have to have resources. Um, we can discern from James that we are called to be generous, but to be generous, remember I said, I'm not just giving you a what without a how. We're called to be generous from righteousness. So action step one, we see God's word calls us to generosity from righteousness. We're not just benevolent for the sake of benevolent and look how great we are and look at the tax write-off we get and, and, and people will think well of us. We're generous because if we're his kids, if we're followers of Christ, if we're followers of his word, then we say, man, we want to do what is right. We want to help. We want to serve. We're in tune with the heart and the voice of our God and his word. Then we say, great, then from that place, I want to give, I want to serve. Um, if you, or really when you, get the opportunity to gain power or money or influence by means that are not right, not righteous, which you have those opportunities all the time to cut corners. If you're in school, there are ways that you can advance and get the grades you need and get the things that you need and cut corners and, and not, do, not do it the way that is right and righteous and honoring to God. And, and here James is saying, be really careful of that. Don't do that. Don't go that way. But instead, be generous from this righteousness that God is bringing about in you if you're a follower of Christ. Um, this starts while you're young, too, right? So if you're a young adult in this room, and this starts now, right? This becomes a, a muscle, a tendency now. And it doesn't just have to do with money either. Obviously, James is talking about money at the end of chapter 4 with these guys who are all about focused on making profits and here to the rich. But this is about generosity with time, right? It's not just how you, you spend your money your perspective on helping others financially, it's also about, man, how do you spend your time? Is your time spent focusing on just you and how you can continue to advance what you want and what you feel like you need and to accomplish things for you? It's a different way that you see time. And really, take an inventory. Make this an action step that you really apply today to say, okay, I'm gonna really evaluate how I spend my time and I'm gonna find places where I can be generous with my time. I can serve other people. I can step into serving. We literally have a ministry here that we'd love help serving. You could, they have a card that says serve. You fill that out. But there's all kinds of great areas. It doesn't even have to be a vocational ministry, right? It could just be a, a guy that you know or a girl that you know who just needs friends. And it doesn't come natural for them. And maybe it doesn't come natural for you to connect with that person. And you think, well, somebody else 
somebody else could be generous to that person. And you're missing an opportunity to be generous with your time and love somebody and give them the time of day, right? To give attention to people and relationships. And just follow Jesus. My encouragement to you is to follow Jesus and let him lead your generosity in that and being open-handed. Remember, generosity is not about money. It's about a posture and a perspective of how you see, Lord, this is yours. Anything I have, my gifts, my time, my resources, God, I'm yours. And if I'm yours, Lord, would you show me where I could be generous? Second one, second action step from, from this. Again, James is super practical, so he kind of breaks these up. They don't, they don't run smoothly together, especially when you get to chapter five. I feel like he's like wrapping it up, and he's like, oh, I got to get this in. Oh, I got to get this in. And so he totally changes his tune now, which is good, because I felt uncomfortable the first six verses, because I felt like he was felt like he was mean, honestly. Um, so verse 7 through 11, here's what God's word says. Be patient. So he's changing his audience. He's changing his to- tone from yelling at these greedy people to now he's clearly talking to a different audience. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, so there's a lot here, a few observations that we just see straight from God's word. The, the first is this idea, this very clear call that, man, this action step is to, there's patience, right? Patience is right off the, the get-go. That is his, um, that's his challenge to his audience. He shifted from this angry, this angry crowd of people who have been doing it wrong and have been abusing people to then saying, hey, you guys, be patient. And he's going to build on that, right? And he uses this example of a farmer who is patient and he waits for the early rains and the late rains. And in this culture, which would have been, you know, very agricultural based, um, they would have planted in the fall, most likely, and there would have been kind of a fall season of rain, right? Kind of the early rains. And then there would have been a later spring season of rain where, where the hope would be more crops would then actually be uh, more ready for, for harvest and begin to grow and those kind of things. And so he's using this example that seems intuitive to his audience to say, yeah, a farmer isn't going to plant in fall, and then, okay, the, you know, the first month or so, the rains come and goes out and says, oh, wh- where's, my, where's, my fr- where's my fruit? Where's my hard work? Where's my plants? Where's the growth? Right? They're going to be patient. He waits for the early rains and the late rains, and so farmers and, and anyone who would have been uh, uh, into that context at the time would have been like, oh, yeah, of course. Why do we rush that? Why is this such an immediate anxiety that we we want this? It's intuitive. God has these rhythms in life. And James is saying, be patient and look at this example of his rhythm in life, of how he he fulfills his promises. He talks about the coming of the Lord, which is ultimately the fulfillment of the kingdom, right? That ultimately one day, be patient. It might be hard right now, but be patient because one day God is going to come back and he is going to establish his kingdom. Right? All of the brokenness and all of the theft and all of the crookedness and all of the, all of the persecution. He, he's saying, be patient, hold on, be steadfast. Um, it will be redeemed. And so this action step of patience, I don't want you to just hear patience as this really soft verb. 
yep, went to church today and was told I had to be patient. And it just feels like kind of a, a Sunday school answer. The reality is there is so much freedom and power in patience. Man, if, if I could step into this, I, I mean, the, the power and freedom of patience is, it, it, navig- it changes how I navigate relationships, right? All, all of a sudden, if I'm really walking in this kind of patience, which we'll talk about how here in a second, but if I'm living out that what of being patient, the way that I see the relationships around me, how volatile, uh, what relationship tension have you had that wasn't rooted in some sort of disconnect, some sort of this person's not getting it, this person's not doing it, this person did that again, this person isn't, right? Like it's, it's tied to this idea of uh, there's an immediate issue now that I want to be resolved, right? My, my anxieties, your anxieties are all rooted no matter what your anxieties are, no matter what the root of your anxiety is, whether you're anxious because you're sitting in traffic or you're anxious because you don't know the future or you're anxious because you don't know, it's all tied to this idea that the power of patience from the Lord, if I was able to walk in patience, then all of my anxieties are okay. I'm gonna wait for the late rains. The early rains have come, God, but what if, and what about this, and I don't know, and I'm scared, and there's nervousness, and what if I fail, and what if this doesn't work out, and what if I'm alone, and whatever the source of that anxiety is to say, I trust you, I'm gonna be patient, I'm gonna wait. God, you're gonna keep working. Patience is not a soft challenge. Patience is massively powerful and massively freeing to walk in that kind of patience, man. And, and he gives this example from the prophet Job. And Job has a gnarly story. Job was a prophet of God who functionally, the devil and God are having a conversation and they're like, man, Job, God's like, man, Job's awesome. And the devil's like, nope, Satan's like, no, it's only because he has all this stuff. His circumstances are good. That's why he's, that's why he loves you because all of his circumstances, he's got money and family and health and all that stuff. You let me take that away, God, and, and we'll see him crumble and he will you know, he will hate you, God, if I tweak his circumstances. And so God and his sovereign power in Scripture allows awful stuff to happen to Job. Like the story of Job is, I mean, he loses his family, he loses his kids, he loses his house, he loses his health, he loses his, I mean, everything. He just loses everything. He's got these friends who show up and they're giving him horrible advice and, and telling him all this, and he's just sitting there thinking, what are you doing, God? And God ends up restoring Job more so than he ever did. And Job, Job even refers to it here in James. He didn't lose faith. He, he waited. He said, no, I know my God. Is, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why God is doing this. I don't have the perspective that God has, but I, I trust him and I'll stay steadfast, which is what James is talking about here at the end, the steadfastness of Job and, and the purpose that the Lord used in that. To, to bring much glory to himself and how compassionate, how merciful, and how in the back end Job's life was sweet and, most importantly, so God-glorifying. And so there's this picture, right, of the, the prophet of, of Job that was patient. I know he will deliver. So the, the what of this, patient, the what is the patience, but the how is faith, right? I, I, God's word calls us to be patient, not just to leave here and be like, well, I guess I got it. We are patient from faith. Job was patient from a place of, I believe God won't let me down. And so as I try to say, okay, well, I'm 
he calls me to be patient. I want to be more patient. And then I say, but how do I do that? I need that freedom. How do I do that? I got to grow my faith. My waiting for the, the later rains are directly tied to, do I believe he's coming? Do I believe he'll restore? Do I believe his plan is good? Do I believe he'll heal? Do I believe he'll fix? Do I believe he'll bring joy one day when it just feels like I've been in darkness forever? Faith, my belief is huge. I want patience, I gotta build faith. So if I, if I wanna build faith, I gotta be in God's word, right? How am I going to know how good he is and what his promises are that I should be trusting if I'm not in God's word? So if you say, man, okay, I wanna build faith, how do I do that? You gotta get in God's word. You gotta hear, here are the promises. Here is who I am. Here is what I'm coming back to do. Here is what I will do now in the already of your life, and then also the not yet, the things that will still come in the later seasons of your life as well. Do you trust me, son? Do you trust me, daughter? You've got to be in God's word if we want to build our faith. And then also, we've got to personally walk that out. I was challenged recently, forget where it was, it was a sermon I heard or something like that about a guy, he was a pastor, and he had had this crazy, awesome legacy of like 50 years of ministry, and he kept this journal of all of the ways that he had seen God provided. And so in his walk with God, he opened up the Bible and, and study it and hear God's word and, and, and listen and, and unpack God's word in his own life and meet with the Lord to build that faith, that relationship. We're not gonna have faith with somebody we don't know without a relationship. But then he had this journal and he would just write down for like 50 years like ways that God would show up. Just, man, God did this, and, and prayers, and then ways that God would show up, and prayers that would go unanswered in his kind of prayer journal for years and years, and then he'd see God answer it. And I just thought, God, that's awesome. I mean, what a, what a tool, what a resource that would be if I could just, in those times where I'm like, man, I don't know, is he, is he going to come through for me? To go back and look at, wow, look what he did here, look what he did there, look what he did there, look what I'm still waiting on, but I, I know his track record is good. So real practically, you want to build faith and from that place have patience, be in God's word and be in a personal relationship with God. Get a journal, get a, get a notes on your phone app. Just be like, here are cool things I've seen God do in my life. So when you feel like you're in a desert and you feel like you don't see where God is and your faith is waning, you can look back and say, no, no, this is the character of God. This is what he's done. <clears throat> real practical here. Um, last action step James gives us in this section is this. It's just one verse, but man, it is convicting, for me at least. Maybe not you. Maybe you've arrived. Verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Here's what um, is happening here. Uh, the do not swear is not a cussing thing, right? Um, the do not swear is a reference to making promises, right? It's this oath. It's, it's almost verbatim what Jesus uh, says uh, to his followers in Matthew 5, 34, right? It's this idea of, hey, don't make these promises. Don't make these oaths and swear, you know, I'm, I'm, my word is good for it or I promise this will happen. Um, don't, don't do that uh, flippantly, right? There's clearly an issue here in James that he's writing to 2,000 years ago, when this is written to its original audience, he's clearly addressing an issue where he's seeing people in this culture, in this time, 
who are saying they'll fulfill a commitment or a contract or a debt to another, and they're not following through on that promise. And so he's obviously addressing something, and James is making it a big deal, right? This isn't like a, he's not trying to bury the lead here. He's, I mean, he says, but above all, right? He starts, he's going through this laundry list of, hey, do this and, do, and, and be patient. And he's like, oh, oh, and above all, definitely don't forget this one. And just one mic drop challenge and sentence, don't make promises that you're not going to fulfill. It's really important for James, and he wants to make sure it doesn't just get lost in the laundry list of other challenges he's, he's putting. And I could imagine how detrimental it would have been for the message of Christ 2,000 years ago as the, as the church is expanding for the first time. The Holy Spirit is changing people's lives and sweeping the, the, that, at that time, the Middle East region and spreading out throughout, throughout the Roman Empire and other areas. How detrimental it would have been is here you have an ambassador for Christ representing the gospel, and they're just very casually throwing out promises and commitments not being trustworthy, it would have been devastating for this primary message of the gospel, right? People in these communities hearing about the promises of God, these eternal things, but then you hear a promise of the guy or the girl who's espousing this spiritual revival, and you look at their personal life, and you're like, you don't keep your promises, you aren't trustworthy. There's no integrity there, right? If I can't, they can't be trusted to have integrity, right, in business and relationships, in the matters of the day. Well, why would they be trusted with a message? Why should I trust them with a message to surrender my life to this, to this God who will be worth it? Really detrimental. So James is highlighting this is huge. This is an issue of integrity. Letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Sticking to what we say is a massive application for our lives. How many people do you know who don't like Christianity and they don't like Christianity because of Christians? And I would argue just about all of them that I know friends I have in my life and people in my life who I want to be friends with and they're not there yet with me, but I'm still their friend, who, who don't like Christianity because we're a bunch of hypocrites. Because we say that we, there's a lack of integrity because we, our, our, our words don't match our actions, right? Oftentimes it's the hypocrisy of Christians who turn people off, right? So often. In my life too, right? My hypocrisy. As a pastor, a very imperfect person. And, and i got to be really careful, and you have to be really careful. If you are a follower of Christ, you are an ambassador. That's not something you choose. That's not something that, oh, when you become a vocational minister or when you come up on the stage, then you have this special badge. No, Jesus makes it very clear throughout Scripture to follow me is to go and represent me, is to go make fishers of men, is to go reach others. To be reconciled is also to be given the ministry of reconciliation to reach others. And so, man, maybe, that's, maybe that issue of, of frustration with Christians and a lack of integrity at times, maybe that's not just a category you see. Maybe that's you in this room, right? Maybe you're here and that has been a stumbling block for you. I love that you're here. I do. I want to hear you. I want you to hear me say, I hate that. And, and, and it's not just them, it's me. I, I, I hate that we don't always and sometimes often represent our God well. And so if you're here and you feel this stumbling block of 
Christian hypocrisy and your yes isn't yes and you're all over the place and man, I love you. I, you're not wrong. But at some point, you're going to have to stop using imperfect Christians to keep you from actually having a personal relationship with a perfect God. Right, at some point, you're going to have to stop using, yeah, a bunch of broken, imperfect people who are going to let you down as a, as a, as a way to stiff arm a God who you were designed to be in a relationship with you, and it is, it is not in his character to be able to let you down. It doesn't mean all your circumstances are going to be good, right? But it is not in his character. He doesn't know how to let you down. I don't know if I could theologically say he doesn't know how. He won't let you down. We'll say that. He won't let you down. And so, man, if that is you, I just, I really do. I, I pray that you hear this and maybe forgive some Christians who have dropped the ball. But definitely walk towards a personal God. And, and be in fellowship with a bunch of other imperfect people. This action step three, God's word calls us. God's word calls us to integrity from our love for others. Right, we are called to have integrity here, right? That's what James is saying. And do not, don't just make your yes, yes, and you've you got to stick to what you say, but it comes out of this love for others, right? It's extremely convicting to me. Um, right, we overcommit, I overcommit all the time, right? I say yes, and we say yes, but then something better comes along. Um, we flake out, we ghost, Right, we, we just say yes to a whole bunch of stuff and there's no mathematical way we're actually going to be able to make all of those yeses actually yeses. And that all signals, guys, this lack of integrity that James is prioritizing for us to stop. And the how we stop is motivated by our love for others. And that's very purposeful that it comes from our love for others. Because here's something that I think um, is, is a, a trap I fall into all the time. My trap so often in, in this issue where our yes isn't our yes and we overcommit ourselves, it comes from good intentions, right? We've got good intentions. Now, sometimes we're just flaky and sometimes we just ghost and sometimes we have bad intentions. Sometimes we're like, eh, I'm just gonna wait. I'll say yes to this, but if something better comes along, I'm definitely gonna ditch that and do this better thing. That happens all the time and we gotta grow and work on that. But other times, our intentions are, I wanna serve here, I wanna do this. I literally made a, a bro date with a guy this morning because in prepping the sermon, I was like, dude, two weeks ago, I told this guy I was going to hang out with him and I haven't, we haven't put it on the calendar. There's like 50 of you. Like, you don't want to see how many unread text messages I have, right? Be because I'm scared because if I open them, then I got to reply and if I reply, can I actually do that? And so out of good intentions all the time, we say, yes, I want to do this. Our good intentions aren't what drives our integrity. That's not what God is, is asking for. Our good intentions won't help us. Our love for others, right? We want to help people, but our love for others is not communicated through our intentions. Our love for others is communicated through our actions. So be really careful. Know that you've got good intentions and you want to serve everywhere and you want to hang out with everyone. You want to be everyone's best friend. That's, that's great if that's the camp you're in. That's awesome, but be really careful because your good intentions could actually become really hurtful could really hurt your witness, your love for others, that you think, I'm going to love others by saying yes to everybody, is dangerous. And God's word is saying, don't do that. Your good intentions aren't loving. 
your actions are loving. And James makes that really clear, right? James 1.22, he says, man, we are called to action, right? There should, there should be these works with our faith. We've got to grow here. We've got to love others, and to do that, we've got to keep our integrity intact. We've got to focus on our witness. We've got to not fall into that self-deceiving trap of, oh, but my intentions are good. We need to take God's word seriously and our witness seriously out of love for other people. Let me review real quickly um, what what we talked about, and then um, we're going to land on the gospel and get back into worship. Here's what we see in these 12 verses. 12 verses from James, we see these really crazy practical stuff. Generosity, God's word calling us to generosity from righteousness because that's the right thing to do, a posture and a perspective of how we see people and others. God's word is calling us to patience from faith. We gotta keep developing our faith. And then integrity from our love for others. Here's the thing. What I talked about at the beginning of the sermon with my boys. Let's say you hear this and you're like, that's really practical. Good job, James. Good job, Bible. Way to make some really practical application points for me to walk out of here and know what the character of a Christian should be. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna work on these things. I'm gonna keep working on these muscles as a follower of Jesus. Here's the thing. If you are not in Christ, then all you're doing is modifying behavior. And so I wanna land on this encouragement. Make sure that just, just like my boys, I, I want a character of a Fuquay boy to be kindness because it's attached to their identity. That's who they are. I want, want who they are as, as, as my sons, that my sons are sons who are kind, right? It comes from an identity. As, that's our dad, and he's directed us in this way, and this is, this is how we're to grow up, and this is how we're to live, and this is how we're to treat people. I, I want that to come from that, but guess what? If my sons are jerks, they don't stop being my sons. I don't stop loving them because we are bonded and nothing will separate me from loving my kids. There's nothing they could do. No amount of bad things and jerk moves Miles could do on the soccer field next Saturday or the next 20 years if he decides to just rebel and say, forget it, Dad. He will not be separate. Now, there might be tension and consequences, but my love for him, that's my son. This is what God invites us into, to be a son or a daughter of the king. Don't do these things to earn a relationship with God. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because you can't earn a relationship with a holy and perfect God. You can't do these again. I can't do these. Our hypocrisy, our sin, our selfishness, all of the, we cannot earn it. And God knew that. Our father knew that. And he said, but I, I love them and I want them to be my kids. But there is this broken chasm between us. So I will lay my son's life, my holy, the holy son of God who did all of this perfectly, he will die. He will raise again. And all who put their faith in Jesus, who say, yes, Christ is my, is, is my hope for that relationship. I surrender my life to Christ. What we're gonna celebrate tonight in baptism is, is people who have said, my life is not my own, my faith is in Jesus. And then, yes, they'll come out of that water and they won't be perfect. But, but what's happened already in their hearts is they have become connected. They've, they're a son and a daughter and nothing can separate that. And now, in response of that relationship, we live these action steps that God has called us. But don't walk out of here and just become better people without the gospel first being at the center of, am I his? Am I his first? 
Have I, have I fully been forgiven for my sins? Not because I got cleaned up enough, but because I've surrendered my life to him. And if that's something you want to talk about more, come and find me. Come and find a staffer. Come and find somebody who you know is walking out the truth. DM us if you don't want to chat in person and just say, I want to sit and talk about how do I really know I'm in that relationship. We want to walk with you through that. It is eternal. And then everything else builds from that. Let me pray. Father, thank you uh, for how you love us, God. Thank you for um, the gospel, Lord. The truth that um, we aren't good enough, but what the gospel says is that we don't have to be. We have to surrender our lives to you, Jesus. We have to put our faith in you. You are the perfect one. And so, God, would you continue to to work that out in my friends in this room who um, aren't, aren't there yet. They're still searching and seeking and um, and, and honestly, here and impressively here at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning, um, I, th- I think growing as people, but God, more than just growing as people, would we be your people? So would that be the foundation? And then, God, for all of us from there, would you continue to show us the steps to walk so we might represent you, so we might walk in freedom, so we might be a good witness? God, would you give us the faith to take the next step today? We love you, we love you, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. In the name of Jesus, amen.